and uh, Brother Larry said I wasn't going up yet, and he started walking up here. I've been after him I don't know how long about singing a special in church, and I thought, boy, it's finally happened. And he get up, gets up here, and he does. He sang Happy Birthday as a special. That was a blessing after all these years of trying to get him to sing, and uh, I appreciate that. Thank you so much for uh, the uh, time this morning. I mentioned a couple weeks ago, uh, sometimes we don't say it enough as pastors how much we appreciate uh, being able to be the pastor of a church. And I don't take it, I, there may be others that do, but I don't take it lightly. I really don't. Um, we're all just sinners, saved by the grace of God. Amen? And yet God has allowed us opportunity to serve Him. And I don't know about you all, but uh, to me I consider it a great privilege to serve God. And uh, it's not something that I take lightly because I, don't, I hope I don't ever take it uh, for granted uh, I grew up in a pastor's home and for several years was in, in ministry and, and helping in ministry, but not full-time. And for four or five years, or three or four years there, uh, just really struggled with that. In fact, um, I, I resigned my, uh, my job a few years ago uh, without uh, any ministry in mind other than I needed to be back in ministry again. And um, uh, it's been a couple years ago now. And uh, the Lord opened the door for me to do some ministry work and to serve in ministry, and I thank him for that. And uh, I thank you for letting me be your pastor, and I, I mean that. I love each of you uh, very much, and I hope that uh, God will give us years yet to uh, serve and labor together. And uh, thank you for the time this morning of recognition. First Corinthians chapter number 4, we're going to read a couple verses, and Lord willing, uh, unless you want me to go long-winded this morning, uh, we, we may break the sermon into two parts. Uh, it, it, we'll see how it goes. But uh, a lot of material this morning, and hopefully it, it'll all work out. We may get it all in this morning. If not, uh, you'll have to come back tonight is what Paul Harvey would say for the rest of the story. All right? And, uh, but uh, I want to start off by saying this this morning. We have some visitors in the room. We well, thank you so much for being with us. And our hope and our prayer here at Keith Heights Baptist Church uh, is the same desire that God has, and that is that no man should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And uh, we don't want to see anybody die and go to hell. And um, somebody said, well, you know, I don't believe a loving God would send anybody to hell. And I agree with that. I do agree with that. In fact, if you'll read in John chapter 3, <clears throat> verses 17 and 18, you'll find that he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, that he came to seek and to save that which was lost, uh, and we find in verse number 18 that he didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And the idea being that uh, if we haven't believed on the Son of God, if we haven't put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, you don't have to do anything to be lost and on your way to hell. We were born that way. We were already condemned. We were already on our way to hell when we were born. And the gospel is not something that condemns man. It's not something that puts an undue burden on man. But the gospel is something that brings great joy to us because we were already condemned. We were already on the fast track to go to hell. And God came because he loved us and gave his only son to die on a cross in our place so that we could escape this thing of hell. So many people look at God as some big meanie upstairs that's out to get them and to send people that don't do what he wants to hell. That's the furthest from the case that, that, that God is. God doesn't make you uh, choose him, but he offers his gift of eternal life to you free and clear this morning. You don't have to earn it. 
You don't have to work your way to heaven. I've heard people say, well, God makes me do this and God makes me do that. I have to give up all this in my life and I have to give up all that. Not to be saved, you don't. To be saved, you simply have to put your faith and trust in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then when He makes a new creature out of you, those things will change. But it's not something that He puts down as a requisite. He doesn't say you've got to clean your life up first before you can get saved. If that was the case, then we would be responsible for our own salvation, wouldn't we? We'd be working our way to heaven. And aren't we glad this morning that God doesn't do it that way? God gives it to us freely. And uh, we thank the Lord for that. If you're here this morning, you say, Brother Greg, I don't know a time or a place that I ever trusted Christ as my Savior. I want to tell you this morning that God sure does love you. And uh, He loves you so much, He sent His Son, His only Son, to die in your place. I've got one son. I've got two daughters. I've got one son. I don't think there's one of my kids, not one of them. Well, it depends on how they act this afternoon. But no, seriously, and I think those of us that have kids know this. I don't think there's one of them that I would allow to die for someone else. And uh, that's what God did for you. That's what he did for me. He loved me that much. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's how much he loved us. Uh, when we weren't lovable, he still loved us. Uh, think of your best friend. If your best friend was going to die, would you give one of your children to die in his place? That'd be hard to do, wouldn't it? And that's talking about your best friend. What about your worst enemy? <laughs> you give your son or your daughter to die in the place of your worst enemy? There's no way. But yet that's what Christ did for us. And uh, I want to tell you, the gospel is not some story that is offensive. It's not something that comes and condemns us. It's something that brings us life. It's something that brings us great joy. And uh, I hope this morning that you've trusted Christ as your Savior. If not, my prayer, my hope is that the Holy Spirit will work on your heart and let you see that need. And if there's any way we can help with that, we'll be glad to help you with it. We'll be glad to pray with you and show you from God's Word how you can be saved this morning. And, and I just want to say that at the onset of the service. Uh, because this morning's message largely will be towards Christians. And uh, I want to make certain that everybody that's here today hears the fact that God loves them and died for them. And all they have to do is put their faith and trust in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. To say, that's all I'm trusting. I'm not trusting my works. I'm not trusting church attendance. I'm not trusting the family I grew up in. I'm simply trusting the Lord Jesus Christ and Him alone to take me to heaven when I die. That's it. It's that simple. Well, let's look in 1 Corinthians chapter number 4, and we'll see how far we get today. Let a man, verse number 1, let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged for you or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not my own self, for I know nothing by myself, yet am I not hereby justified? He that justif uh, judgeth me is the Lord. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts, and then shall every man have praise of God. Father, once again we come to you. We ask for the next few moments 
that you would lend your wisdom and your Holy Spirit's power to the preaching of your word. And Father, it matters very little what I think or what I say about this passage. Lord, what matters greatly is the truth of it and the working of your Holy Spirit in our lives. Lord, this book is alive. It's quick and it's powerful. We believe that. We believe that it's life-changing, it's life-altering, that it can transform a man. And I pray this morning that it will do its transforming work in our hearts and in our lives. And Lord, if there's someone here today that does not know you as their personal Savior, they've never trusted you as their Savior, I pray that that conviction would come on them, they would know that, and they would get that matter settled today before it's too late. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Paul is addressing this topic of stewardship or being ministers and stewards of God. I want us to look at a couple things here in verse number 1, and then we're going to move over to the book of Ephesians chapter number 5. Let's look very quickly at verse number 1. The Bible says, let a man so account of us. And I, I would like for you, if you don't mind, we're going to come back to this phrase in just a few minutes. But if you have a pen and you're in the habit of underlining, I would encourage you to underline that one phrase in this verse. We're going to come back to it and look at it, a very important part of it, here in just a few moments. But let a man, so account of us, as of the ministers, and there's a couple key words here I want you to note, ministers is the first one, the ministers of Christ, and the stewards, and I want you to underline that word or, or mark that word and know that that's a key word in this verse, of the mysteries of God. We find here two things and two concepts that are given by the Apostle Paul. The idea of ministering is an idea of service. Uh, The folks that were given to the temple tasks in the Old Testament or in the tabernacle times, uh, they would come into a time of ministry, meaning they were going to serve in the temple or in the tabernacle, and they were going to be of service to the high priest. The illustration and the wording that Paul uses here is the idea that we are to be ministers, notice this, of Christ. We are to be His servants. And so right here we find that there is a a relationship that is given of a master and a servant. We would all, I hopefully, if we went around the room today, uh, because we know other portions of Scripture that also undergird this truth and, and support it, I hope we all understand the fact that we are servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, the Apostle Paul and some of the other writers of New Testament Scripture often would start their, their letters by saying, Paul, a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ or of God. And uh, I hope that we get in our hearts and in our minds that there is a relationship there of a servant and a master. And by the way, let me just say this. A servant has no right to tell his master where he's going to serve or how he's going to serve, does he? Uh, the master just simply says it and the servant does it. And uh, so we find here a relationship in verse number 1 of servant and master. I want you to notice also in verse number 1 the key word here that I gave you, the second one, which is the steward of the mysteries of God. And the word stewardship is, is different than a servant-master relationship, although it can be tied to it, and that is that there were certain servants in the master's household who the master would trust with a leadership role in his household, and he would, what the Bible referred to here as stewardship, he would give stewardship 
of his household. A great illustration of that is the illustration of Joseph in the Old Testament, how that uh, even though he was sold into slavery as a servant, as a slave in Potiphar's house, he rose to a position of steward over all that Potiphar had. And later on, he re, re, uh, raises even in the role of being second in command of all of the land and has been entrusted by Pharaoh with leadership. And so we find here a concept that Paul gives, and it's one of the great uh, scriptures in Scripture that deals with this, that as God's people, we need to learn to be servants and we also need to be leaders or, or stewards of his, uh, of his uh, possessions, of his resources, and the things that he gives for us to do. So there's a servant relationship here, and there is a leadership relationship here that's also given in verse number 1. I want you to hold your place here, if you will. We're going to come back to this portion of Scripture in just a few moments. And look with me, if you will, in Ephesians chapter number 5. Ephesians chapter number 5. One of the interesting things I find in Scripture is it's a very well-written book. Have you noticed that? It, it, it all pieces together. It all ties together. It's almost as if it had the same author throughout. Now, I know that God used a lot of men and their personalities and their styles of writing to pen these words. But we can rest assured that the Bible that we hold on our laps today, every word of it was breathed by Almighty God that it is His Word to us. And as such, it is a perfectly written book. That's an amazing fact. And so we find that all of Scripture, in fact, one of the great uh, truths, one of the great principles we use in interpreting Scripture and understanding Scripture is that when we study a verse or a passage, one of the great rules that we have to follow is it has to, whatever we come out with from that passage or that verse, must agree with all other portions of Scripture. It cannot contradict. It cannot be in opposition to some other area of Scripture. And so we find it ties very neatly together. And one of the beautiful things that God does in Scripture is He uses uh, common, everyday, ordinary things to vividly illustrate some of the truths that He wants us to learn. In fact, if you take time to look through and read some of the stories of the Old Testament, boy, there's some amazing pictures there, aren't there, of some New Testament truths. And uh, you read the story of Noah, and what a story of uh, redemption in the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, we read uh, so many different stories and pictures of uh, Abraham taking Isaac up onto the Mount Moriah to sacrifice him. And God stops him and says, I will provide, and he puts the word here, myself, a lamb. And it's interesting to know there's so much semblance there, and I wish we had time to develop even that thought. Maybe that will be a message for another day. But it all ties together. God knows what He's doing. We were talking in Sunday school this morning uh, about uh, a passage in Proverbs that dealt with the character of man. And uh, the comment was made, it's almost as if the author of this book knew the character of man and wrote to help us with it. And the truth of the matter is He did, didn't He? So we find here that there's an illustration given that we read about in 1 Corinthians 5 and verse number 1 of a relationship. And I want us to take a few moments this morning. We, it will be a while on this and may have to finish up the 1 Corinthians portion of it this evening. 
But I want us to look at these relationships. that We see one given in this chapter, in chapter number 4 of 1 Corinthians, of a master and a servant. A master and a servant. So I want us to look at some things here. If you will, turn with me to Ephesians 5. Hopefully you're already there. And we're going to begin reading in verse number, 15, uh, verse number 18. Excuse me. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And I just want to stop and say this real quick that uh, this verse confused me for a long time. Why in the world would God talk about being drunk with wine and being filled with the Spirit in the same verse? And for a long time, I, as a younger man, I didn't understand that until it came on me one day. I was thinking and studying on it and reading about it and, and just thinking through the verse. And I thought, you know, all of a sudden the light bulb turned on. And what he's trying to get across here is that we are to be led by and filled with the Spirit in such a way that we are to be led by and controlled by Him the same way that a man who is drunk is controlled by the wine or the spirits that he's drunk. And as a man that's drunk with wine has no control, but is controlled by the wine, we as God's people are to be controlled by and be led by, without reservation, the Holy Spirit of God. It ought to be the desire of our hearts daily to say, Lord, what wilt thou have me do? And I know that's old English, and that's King James English of saying that. But basically today, Lord, what, what do you have for me? I want what you want. The psalmist said, oh, that my will was thy will. And what he was saying is, Lord, I don't want what I want. I want what you want for me. And that's what this verse is talking about here. Now, the results of this, the characteristics of this, uh, are shown here. And this is what I want us to look at this morning. In verse 19, this is a man who's filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. And by the way, I'll tell you this, when you get saved and God comes into your heart and uh, something is made alive in there that used to be dead, our song changes. He gives us a new song. And there's all of a sudden some joy in there. Years ago as a kid in Sunday school, we used to sing the little chorus, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. And we do all where? Down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. And uh, we used to sing it with gusto. Man, I tell you, we were excited. Have you ever noticed this? And, and, and pause the message for a minute. Put it on pause. Remember where we're at because we're going to come back to it. I'm going to take a quick rabbit trail and we'll be right back. But have you ever noticed this? When you're a kid, you're excited in Sunday school, haven't you? You ever see that? I mean, you, you get the teacher up there and they say, let's sing the B-I-B-L-E. Yes, the B-I-B-L-E. And boy, we just sing it. And they say, okay, now boys, we're going to see if you can do better than the girls. Or girls, we're going to do better than the boys. And you sing it. And the B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God. The B-I-B-L-E. And we all do. We didn't do it that way in Sunday school. And we all do. It's still not even close. If I brought the Sunday school kids up here today, they'd do a lot better than we all did. But, you know, that's the point I'm making. Because when we're kids, we're all excited about God, aren't we? And then we get to be about middle, middle elementary school. And, you know, we kind of are like, boy, I, I tell you, I want to be like those little sixth graders and seventh grade. Boy, if I could just make it to seventh grade. And uh, you're looking up to them and the B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E, Bible. And we kind of raise the Bible halfway. 
And then we get to be seventh, eighth, ninth grade. And the B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E Bible. And then we get to be a junior, senior in high school. And then we get to be 20s and 30s. And have you ever noticed this? And then all of a sudden, somewhere, there's a time in our life where we start going back the other direction. You ever notice that? And then we, then we, then we start singing, the B-I-B-L-E. Oh, this is pretty neat. Yes, that's the book for me. You know, 40, 50 years old. The B-I-B-L-E. 60 years old. The B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. 70 years old. Bible! <laughs> and uh, it seems like the, the time that we have the most energy and the time that we can do the most for the Lord and the time that we ought to be most excited about the things that God does, it seems like we're the biggest fuddy-duddies when it comes to the things of the Lord. Amen? I, I don't know that it ought to be that way, but that's the way it is. And I'll tell you, I think a large part of it is because we don't see the, the power of the Christian life. The Bible talks about those that have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. And a lot of young people get disillusioned with God. They start saying, boy, there's, there's no excitement in the Christian life. There's no joy there. There's no, it's, just, it's just some religious belief and it's all old and archaic and it's not relevant to me. And can I tell you this? The Bible has the answer to every question and every problem and every circumstance in life. Every one of them. And uh, it, it is very relevant today. All right. Unpause it. We're ready to go. Here we go. Speaking to yourselves in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melodies in your hearts to the Lord. That means with gusto, with all our hearts. And uh, then we get to giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, so far... We have seen two signs of being filled with the Spirit. One of them is the song in our hearts, and the second one is our gratitude to the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, if those are lacking in our lives, there is something that needs to be stirred again in our hearts. Amen? Because those are things that are vital to the Christian. Not to do outwardly, but to have coming, bubbling out from the inside. Our walk with God becomes so exciting to us, the songs are great. The giving of thanks, we ask for testimonies, and, and we can't hardly get through a service because there's so many people saying, I want to thank God for this, and I want to thank God for that. God has been so good to me. Those are the signs of being filled with the Spirit. And please, 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 folks, don't do this. Don't try to say, well, that must be the sign of being filled with the Spirit, therefore I'm going to try to do those things. No, 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 no. You're missing the point. The point is, let's try to be filled with the Spirit so that those things will happen. The third thing we find of being filled with the Spirit, verse number 21, is submitting, what's the next word here? Yourselves, one to another. We're going to see three relationships here that are given that are vividly pictures of relationships that you and I have with the Lord Jesus Christ. I want us to look at the first one very quickly. First of all, the Bible says in verse number 22, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. What's the next phrase here? You think God just put that phrase in by mistake? As unto the Lord. You submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord. 
For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto, so let wives be to their own in everything. Do you see, in this particular relationship, Christ even gives us what he's trying to picture through the relationship of a husband and wife. An earthly relationship of husband and wife that clearly illustrates a role that Christ plays in every believer's life. The disciples were talking about uh, talking to Christ and some people came to him and asked him some things. And he talks about the fact that some of them were fasting. And uh, John the Baptist's disciples were fasting and praying. And uh, they were questioning him about this. And Jesus Christ made the statement along the lines of this, that those that are the bride and the party of the bride cannot sorrow as long as the bridegroom is with them. And he uses an illustration that he is the bridegroom and those that are the believers are to be his bride. And I don't know about you all, but that, that gives an illustration here of our relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ when it comes to how we interact with him. He is to be our head. We are to be subjective, uh, subject unto Him. We are to be submissive unto Him. We are to be, can we put it this way, yielded to Him. A beautiful illustration of an earthly relationship that pictures a, one of the relationships that the Lord Jesus Christ has with us. But He has to use multiple pictures because He is all in all to us, isn't He? He is so much more than just a relationship that a husband and wife has. So he goes on to say here, as we get down verse number 25, he's still dealing with it. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. By the way, let me just say this. The Bible will keep us from sin. Psalm 119, verses 9 through 11. You say, boy, I've struggled with sin in my life, Pastor. How do I deal with that? Saturate your heart and your mind with Scripture. God has promised that it will keep us from sin. It will purge us. It will clean us. That he might present to himself, verse 27, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish, so ought men to love their wives as their own what? Bodies. Didn't Christ do that? Let me stop for a minute because a lot of times men want to say, Pastor, you show, you show my wife. Show her. Show her. It's in there. Wives, submit. Submit. Pastor, show her. She is to submit. And I'm glad to do that. Before or after I tell the husband, verse 28, so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. What are we saying? I would do everything, even to the point of giving up my body to take care of that wife, to love that wife, to cherish that wife. There used to be a day that that was the case, wasn't it? You remember years ago when the Titanic sank, the cry on the deck was what? Women and children... And men kissed their wives and their kids and turned and faced a death that a man ought to face 
on the deck of the Titanic because he loved his wife as his own body. We've lost that over the years. You say, Brother Greg, why is that important? Because it pictures the love that Christ had for me. And when we don't follow Scripture in this earthly relationship, we are deteriorating the picture of the relationship that Christ has to me. If he's the pictured husband in this illustration, did he not love us as he did his own body? What did Christ do for you? Did he not lay down his body? Did he not lay it down willingly and suffer ultimate shame and agony and death for you? Say, Brother Greg, why is it important that my relationship with my spouse follow these guidelines of Scripture? Because it pictures our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Very important. Very important. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it. You want to find out the responsibility of a husband to a wife? He's to care for her needs and to love her with all of his heart, to cherish it. Even as the Lord, the church. You know what the Lord does for the church? He meets their needs and he loves them with all their heart, with all his heart. What an amazing picture, isn't it? You see how the Bible ties together here? There's a second relationship that's given, and we find that beginning in verse number, uh, chapter number 6 and verse number 1. The Bible says, Children, obey your parents in the... Did we not just see that same phrase? Husbands were to submit themselves to their husbands as unto the... Children are to obey their parents in the Lord. Do we see that? Again, another relationship, an earthly relationship that so vividly pictures a relationship that we have to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says that we have become heirs and joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. It says that we have been uh, experienced the, the uh, spirit of adoption, that we are becoming the children of God, the sons of God. And we are born into his family. So even though there is a, master, a, a husband-wife relationship here, there is also a parent-child relationship that God has with us, is there not? When we come to the Lord in prayer, many times we say, Father, and we ask him as a child. Those that have uh, a need of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says that the same way that a man will go to his neighbor and knock on his door and knock on his door and knock on his door until he gets what he needs for a visitor that came from out of town. He said, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall the heavenly Father give to them that ask him of the Holy Spirit? And so we have a father or a parent and child relationship that's given and vividly pictured. Okay, so what are the, what are the characteristics or attributes of this relationship? Well, we find them in verses 2 and 3. The Bible says, uh, Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment. I'm sorry, verse 1 and 2. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. So the first thing in this relationship that we have with the Lord Jesus Christ is that we are to be what? What was it? Obedient. Follow with me. You all with me? Okay. He's to be obedient. We are to be obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Now, when we are obedient to Him, does that mean that He gives us great reward for being obedient to Him? I'm not saying that He wouldn't give us a blessing here or there, but that's not where we find the reward, is it? In fact, the Bible's very clear here in verse number 1 that we're to obey our parents in the Lord for this is what? We just simply do it because it's the right thing to do. You say, Brother Greg, how do I know that this is the same relationship uh, that it's speaking of here between me and Christ? Well, look back over to chapter number 5 and verse number 1. The Bible says, Be ye therefore followers of God as what? As what? Dear children. We're to follow the Lord Jesus Christ as children follow parents. In chapter number 6, verses 1 and 2, we're given how children are to follow parents, aren't we? They're to obey their parents in the Lord, for this is right. No reward given for this. It's just what's expected. Amen? We find in verse number 2, it says, Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with what? Promise. There's reward, isn't there? Honor and obedience are different, aren't they? We understand the difference of that? I've illustrated it before, but in case you're here this morning, you say, well, I don't quite understand the difference there. Uh, years ago, my mom and dad gave me the responsibility. It was my chore to empty the trash at the house. I was not to be told to empty the trash at the house. And if I had to be told, that was not a good thing usually. But let's suppose that one given day I had forgotten to empty the trash, and my mom comes to me and says, Greg, go empty the trash. And I say, okay, Mom, and I'm mad, and I've got other things that are more important to me. I've got to go play. I've got to go fish. I mean, things that are important. Who cares about trash? I mean, we can just pile it up in the house, can't we, as long as I get some fish today. And I'm mad, and I go slamming through the house, and I slam the door, and I yank the bag out of the trash can and spill half of it on the floor. I pick it up because I'm mad that it wouldn't have fallen on the floor if I hadn't been told to empty the trash And I finally get it all together, and I storm out to the backyard, and I throw it in the trash can. The truth of the matter is, by the strictest definition of it, I was obedient. But I certainly was not honoring, was I? Honoring means that I'm going to obey with joy, because I have a relationship with my mom and dad. It's not, mom and dad, do I have to do this? It ought to be, mom and dad, do I get to do this for you? You're my parents. You've given me everything. Isn't that what the Lord Jesus Christ did for us? How much that you have was given to you by the Lord Jesus Christ? How much? All of it? Isn't that amazing? All of it. And our obedience to Him ought not ever be because we have to. But it ought always to be because we get to. You say, Brother Greg, I don't know about all these standards. I don't know about all these Bible principles that dictate how I ought to live my life. You know, the Bible says that the commands of God are not grievous. At least they're not to a Christian. Because we get the privilege... To be obedient to God who knows me better than I know myself 
and knows what I like more than I know myself, and knows what will make me happy more than I know myself, and knows what will make me content with life and bring peace to my heart more than I know myself. And I, can, I get the opportunity and the privilege to not just obey, but to obey with love and to obey with joy. Yes, Lord, I'm glad to do it. By the way, there were men in Scripture that did this, did they not? God comes to Abraham when he's getting ready to tell Abraham to take his son, his only son Isaac, and to take him to Mount Moriah and to slay him on the altar up there. And he comes to Abraham and he says, Abraham, and the Bible says this, Abraham said, here am I. Yes, Lord, what do you want? My answer is already yes. And when God tells us something, when we come to God's Word to study it, and God's Word tells us something from Scripture, we should have come to the Scripture first saying, Yes, Lord, whatever I'm getting ready to read, I'm not going to say, Boy, i got to do that. I'm going to say, Yes, Lord, I get to do that. As a child would be obedient and honoring to their parents. So we see a second relationship. There's a third relationship here, and this is the relationship that's dealt with in 1 Corinthians chapter number 5. We'll deal with that, and we'll close for the afternoon, and you'll have to come back tonight to get the conclusion of the message. Is that, is that good of me to do that? It, it worked back in Batman's time. You ever notice that? They left you with the cliffhanger and said, be sure to tune in, same bat time, same bat channel. Tonight, Keith, we're going to give you the conclusion of the issue. But let's look at this third relationship real quick and we'll be done. The Bible says here, as he goes on and deals with how fathers are to work with their children, in verse number 5 he says, servants, servants. Oh boy, here's the relationship. We're getting ready to deal with the relationship of the servant and the master. Are you ready? Here we go. Servants, be obedient to them that are your master's According to the flesh. Now, in the time of the Bible days, there was servanthood and masters, and there was slavery and masters. If you were in debt, you were a a slave to them until the debt was paid. Many times, the masters treated their servants and their slaves so well that the slaves or the servants wanted to stay as part of that family and serve them because they were treated so well, and they would uh, go to a doorpost and put their ear on there and put an awl there, and they would pierce the ear, and that, from that point on, the man was known as a bond servant. In other words, he was bound to his master, and he did that willingly. So we have here a relationship of servant and master, and he says that we are to obey our masters according to the flesh. Now, in today's world, uh, that would be the equivalent of uh, an employee-employer type relationship or something at least very similar to that structure. And this is the relationship now that Paul was trying to refer to in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 1. But he says, Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling and singleness of your heart. And here's another phrase I want you to see. As unto Christ. All three relationships we have seen tied to the very fact that we are to do them as unto Christ or as unto the Lord. All three of them. All three of them pictures 
of a type or a portion of the relationship that God has with me. He is my master, is he not? We call him the Lord Jesus Christ. I am his servant. Yes, I am going to be the bride of Christ. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that I have that relationship that he gave himself for me as a husband would love and give himself for his wife. I'm thankful that he cares for and he provides for. I'm thankful that I have the relationship of parent and child or father and child in this case. That I can come to my father and know that I can ask him of things that a child could ask a father for. I'm thankful for the fact that we have the relationship of being a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And just as with every other relationship that we've already talked about, this relationship is no different in the fact that it is a privilege to have the relationship of servant to master. And so he tells us to obey them with singleness of heart, in fear and trembling, with singleness of heart, as unto Christ. Not with eye service as men pleasers. In other words, we don't just do it when people are looking. But as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the what? From the heart. It's just what we do. We love it. We can't think of doing anything else. It's something that we don't do grudgingly. It's something that we don't do uh, because we feel like we have to or because the preacher preached on it this morning and go home and, and put it all over Facebook. Boy, you wouldn't believe what pastor preached this morning from God's Word. we got to be a servant. No, 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 no. <coughs> we get to. In our hearts, we get to. With goodwill, doing service as to the Lord and not to man, even in our earthly relationship of master-servant, we're to be obedient to that boss, that employer, that master, if you will, the same as we would be obedient to Christ. Knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. And ye masters do the same thing unto them, forbearing threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is there respect of persons with him. Three relationships that the Lord Jesus Christ has with you and I. We have a relationship of husband-wife. We have a relationship of parent and child. And we have a relationship of master and servant. Now tonight, when you come back, notice we said, didn't say if, we said when you come back tonight, we're going to be focusing in on the relationship of master-servant, which is primarily what Paul is dealing with in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 1. I wish we could have got through all the material today. It's good. I'm excited about it because I know where it's going. And uh, you don't want to miss it tonight, okay? I don't mean to leave you hanging, but you've got to be here tonight for it, okay? Let's stand together, shall we, with heads bowed and eyes closed. We are going to have an invitation this morning, and I just want to say the reason we're going to do that is perhaps God has shown us something in these relationships that need to be straightened out in our lives. Maybe we have not been what we needed to be in the relationship. Maybe we've misunderstood the relationship God has with us. And maybe we need to get that right this morning. It could be that there might be somebody here this morning that's not trusted Christ as their Savior. They don't know if they died right now that they'd go to heaven. Can I tell you, please don't leave here. The Bible teaches when we are born, we are born sinners. 
We are already headed to hell. You don't have to do anything to go there. God's not sending you there. God's not making you go there. He's trying to give you a way of escape. He's come that you could be saved, not to condemn you, but that you could be saved through him. And he offers eternal life and a home in heaven for all of eternity. And if you're here this morning, you say, Brother Greg, I don't know if I died right now that I'd go to heaven. I don't ever remember a time that I placed my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Then I would urge you in the time of invitation to come forward. We won't embarrass you in any way. But we'd be glad to take God's word and show you how you can be saved this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we're so thankful for your word. Lord, so much to it. We almost, well, we couldn't get to all of it today. And I pray that you'll bless tonight. Lord, help us not to miss. If there's any, any possible way to be here tonight, help us not to miss. Because, Lord, the truth of what we're going to look at tonight is so vitally, vitally important in the area of these relationships. I pray that you would bless the time of invitation. And, Lord, speak to hearts. May your Holy Spirit do his work as he would see fit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. With heads bowed, please, and eyes closed, I don't want any.